Let's get into the word. I know our time is getting away from us. I want to draw you to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. We have a selection of scripture we're going to look at this morning. Galatians 1:13, Paul says this: For you have been called to live in what? Freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. Paul writes, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature, they will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit, that is, who walk in obedience to the Spirit, will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. You'll experience a bit of heaven here on earth. 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul writes, In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use for every good work. Run away from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. And friends, there is a special companionship between brothers and sisters who love Jesus between brothers and sisters who are pursuing Christ. It doesn't mean you think you're better. It's not a click. The Lord just says, I'm going this way. If you want to come with me, I'd love to have you. Here's where I'm moving. And when people begin to move in that, there's wonderful fellowship. Well, as I mentioned this morning, I want to speak on this subject, saved but still enslaved. As I shared in a post on Facebook this week, I really believe that many sincere believers never lay hold of what God has for them because they are still they are still uh, hindered by areas of spiritual bondage that linger in their lives. Now, I want to be very clear. It does not mean they are not Christians. It does not mean they are not saved and going to heaven one day. It does not mean that they are not a cre new creation, as Paul said to the Corinthians, when they came to Christ. But what it does mean is that there are still old things that are in the process of passing away. There are still areas in our lives where the Lord wants to bring us into even more freedom. Uh, in Timothy here, when the Apostle Paul wrote to him, he wrote about people cleansing themselves from evil desires, evil things in their lives. Why? So that they can actually be used by the Lord. Not just used to be used by God, but they can experience the excitement that comes when you're used by the Lord. They can experience the touch of God. They can experience their life making a difference. And that's what really is fulfilling for believers. And I want us to understand here in Paul's words to Timothy, he is clearly talking to people who belong to the Lord. But the issue is they are still strongly struggling with lingering sin, and they have, to, they have a decision to make. They have to decide whether they want to be a clean vessel and be used by God, or if they want to continue tolerating impurity and not able to be used by the Lord. I want us to understand the issue is not whether God loves people who have bondage in their lives. Hear me this morning, friends. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loved us when we were his enemies. Of course he loves us as his people when we struggle with things. The issue is this. How usable am I to the Lord? That's really what the question is. What place do I find myself in and whether or not God is able to use me 
or he just has to pass me over. I believe Jesus wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But that flow becomes stagnated or becomes clogged wherever there are things like impurity, apathy, disobedience, pride, and the list goes on. Now, what I want to focus on this morning is an understanding that the process by which the Lord brings freedom or the process by which the Lord brings cleansing into our lives as the people of God, it is called deliverance. Jesus said in John 8, we know the scripture well, he said, you will know the truth, say it with me, and the truth will set you free. Now, I want us to understand there is no greater revelation to us than the truth that is found in the word of God. In fact, I have found over the years, even churches that don't believe in deliverance or kind of think that's old or weird or spacey, even if they don't believe in deliverance, when the word of God, the truth of God's word is preached from the pulpit, people still get delivered. Uh, people still receive the truth of God's word and the Lord sets them free bit by bit and whatever he's doing in their lives has to respond to him. The essence of deliverance is simply learning what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you from his word in order to address a particular area of need in your life. And what happens is, is when you take the word of God, you receive the word of God, that word becomes a sword in your hand. And there is no power in hell that can stand against the sword of the truth of God's living word. Uh, Paul said to the Galatians, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. He didn't save you to be religious. He didn't save you just to try to live a better lifestyle. He saved you to completely save you from yourself. That's what he's done, to completely deliver you and set you free to move into a joy that would become strength to you. In other words, what Paul is saying is the freedom we have come into is the freedom Jesus intends you to stand in. In other words, when you came to the Lord and you were just filled with the knowledge and the joy of being saved, the Lord says you were never intended to kind of level off Peter out and, you know, and kind of dissipate and just kind of go, you know, hold on to Jesus till he comes. No, that was, be, that was meant to be the starting place. You were meant to go from that place of cleansing and joy into greater strength, greater freedom, more grace. That was the Lord's intention for us. And so he wants us to know that you can live in the victory that Jesus gives. So you don't have to worry every time you have a struggle, every time you have a temptation, every time you're dealing with something the Lord is, is talking to you about in your life. You don't have to worry every time something comes up that, you know, you've you got to deal with deliverance. No, a lot of times for believers, you just got to engage in spiritual warfare. That's all you got to do. You just got to take your position as a believer in Christ and come against the enemy. And when you do, God gives you the power to overcome and you just keep living in the freedom that he gives. But I believe what discipleship is really all about is seeing people who know Jesus learning how to overthrow the devil. That's essentially what discipleship is. It's understanding who you are in Christ and making war against the enemy in your life and the lives of others. Just think of it this way. Police officers have been given authority to exercise. Now, how many believe that because police officers have authority, there's no crime anymore? Right? They have this authority, so there's no crime. Of course there is. In fact, what criminals do is they find more creative, devious ways to break the law, right? So what do the police officers have to do? They have to actually exercise, use their authority and resources to bring those criminals to justice. You and I have been given authority in Jesus' name over the devil, over every work of darkness that comes against us, every occasion we encounter it as we minister. That is scriptural. But here's also a truth. 
That does not mean that the devil stops his activity. Doesn't mean he stops coming at you, especially if he knows you are a Christian who does not actually exercise your authority. And so we are commanded in the word of God to be aware of the devil's schemes in our lives, and we are called to uproot the enemy wherever the Lord shows us he has been hunkered down. Now, the Bible speaks very clearly about the fact that because of the reality of the presence of evil in our world today, every person, Christian or not, needs deliverance at one time or another in your life, in your walk. In fact, if you do a word study, as I did this a little while ago, in your Bible, you'll discover there are over 600 references in the Bible that use the words deliver, delivered, and deliverance. And what's interesting is the vast majority of uses of that word apply to the people of God, those who are God's people, not to the unbeliever. Now, we understand that the first and greatest deliverance you will ever experience comes when you invite Jesus Christ into your heart as Lord and Savior. That is the greatest deliverance. In fact, Colossians says this, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and brought us safely into the kingdom of his dear son. Don't ask me how he does it. I know it's through his shed blood. I understand that. I don't understand all the spiritual dynamics that take place when it happens. All I know is I was this way without Christ, and now I'm this way with Christ. Thank God. It's a miracle transformation. And yet, how many of us here this morning recognize that once a person comes to Jesus, there is still a whole lot of work to be done in your life for you to become like Jesus? Amen? to be like him, to move like him, to minister like him, and that is simply called sanctification. And sanctification in a believer's life is a process that often comes with great conflict. And the reason why there's great conflict is not because God is not great, he's not able, he's not stronger, it's because whenever the Holy Spirit seeks to do a transforming work in your life and mine, it will always be met by, by the powers of darkness to, to resist it whether that's just in a straight-out battle, whether that's in subtle deception, whatever it may be, there's always going to be resistance, and sometimes that resistance can be demonic. Now, you may be thinking this morning, but wasn't the devil defeated at Calvary? Wasn't his head crushed, as the Scripture prophesied, through the cross of Jesus Christ? And I want to be clear, the answer is unequivocally yes. John says this in 1 John, he said, for this reason, this purpose, the Son of Man came into the world. Say it with me. Why? To destroy the works of the devil. Hear me, friends. There is nothing left of the devil's power today in the form of authority. That's important to understand. But what he still has is the ability to deceive you and to try to find a place in your life and mine if we will allow him, where he can bring influence or control. For example, anytime you knowingly disobey God's word to you, if you forget anything else, remember this. Anytime you knowingly disobey God's word to you, you are not just exercising your free will. It's not just a matter of, I don't feel like doing that, I'm going to do this instead. When you disobey the living God and his word to you, you are not just exercising your free will, you are giving place to the powers of darkness. Don't underestimate your disobedience. Don't underestimate that. Your disobedience is, your obedience rather is expected and required. 
It is no small thing when you just flip off the Lord. It is no small thing when the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and you choose to go your own way. We'll look at more of that in just a moment. The idea that we can repeatedly disobey the Word of God with impunity, I believe, is a demonic delusion. And it's a delusion that leads countless Christians into spiritual bondage. But here's the good news. By the power of God, you can be set free. You can stay free. And you can actually become a minister of that freedom to others who are bound. In the Old Testament, we probably know the story well. We're told that God gave the promised land to Abraham and to his descendants. And after a miraculous deliverance from uh, the slavery of Egypt, Joshua finally takes God's people across the Jordan River to claim their land. But if you know the story, you know that as Joshua was moving into the promised land, it was not without significant warfare. And to me, moving into the promised land has to do with us as believers possessing all that God has made available to us. How did he make available to us? Just like he did to the Israelites in Egypt, by his blood over the mantles, he set his people free. They were delivered from the power of the enemy as they came out of Egypt. You might say they were born again. They were baptized into Moses as they came across the Red Sea. They were free from the enemy. But the problem was now, not for God, but on their side with unbelief sometimes, is they had to begin to possess now this huge territory. And they did that with warfare. The land was theirs, but they had to possess it. Very important. The land was theirs, but they had to possess it. When you say to the person beside you, the land was theirs, but they had to possess it. Go ahead. If you're too embarrassed to say, hi, my name's Joe. What are you, what's your name? Okay? They had to possess it. Now, and yet as they were possessing it, please understand, the call to battle was something that God was going to do on their behalf. They didn't have to just do it on their own. God assured them this. In Exodus 23, he said, I will drive them out. How much? A little at a time until your population has increased enough to take possession of the land. Now, just try to get your mind around that. God is saying, here's this huge, expansive land that is for your people who one day will be no more numerous than the sand on the seashore, but I'm not giving it to you all at once. Because if you come in with your population, if you come in with your limited understanding, your training, and I give it all to you, what's going to happen? It'll be overgrown and all that kind of stuff, God says. You're not ready for it. But as you move in and take a territory and learn to possess it, then I will move you on from there to the next territory that you possess. And I will move you on to the next territory that you possess as you grow in numbers, as you grow in faith, as you grow in experience. And in the same way, I believe our freedom in Christ is not a once and for all lifetime event in the sense of all happening at once. Our freedom in Christ is actually part of the sanctification process. Now, when we come to Christ, we are set free from that bondage of sin. We are set free from the power of sin over us. We are set free from the penalty of sin. The wrath of God no longer hangs over us. We are his sons and daughters. But we understand, right, that we still have battles. We understand there are still things that we contend for as we walk with Christ. In fact, the more we want to walk in the Lord, you're more going to discover he's going to bring you into battles, but he will give you the victory if you continue to walk with him, and he will bring you from strength to strength. Uh, let me just go on quickly here. I don't want to take us too much time this morning. You can be instantly set free. 
from a particular bondage. But what I believe is that as you walk with the Lord, you're going to discover the Lord brings freedom, not just once, but on many occasions, in many ways, as you walk with Him. And I share that with you as well to understand that as you, the more you learn to live and minister in the authority of Christ, the more the Lord is going to bring you into other things. And so for those, some of you who've been experienced some freedom, you might be saying, well, I just thought this kind of all happened at salvation, and yet you can't deny just some wonderful freedom you've come into. That's because the Lord is bringing you more and more into the land. There's more he wants you to possess, and there's more he wants to do that he wants to do through you. The Bible says the Lord has given us great and precious promises. Do we believe that? But see, the key is we have to decide whether or not we're going to lay hold of them, whether or not we're going to take possession of those things. And if we do, we will take possession a little at a time. So as we move forward, as we drive the enemy out of our lives, there will be warfare. But God will not give you land that you cannot hold on to. We have to learn to occupy. We have to learn to live in freedom. We have to learn to live in the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. You see, I've said this many times in the past, but just to remind us, spiritual maturity has nothing to do with how long you've been saved. Spiritual maturity has nothing to do with how long you've been in church. It has nothing to do with how many courses you've taken, whatever the case may be. Spiritual maturity is measured by simply this. It's how long it takes you to say yes to God when he speaks to you. That's, that's the bottom line. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you, are you mature enough? You see, I know people have been saved for six months or a year who are leaps and bounds ahead of people who have been saved for 40 years. You see, because we are tempted to fit into this lifestyle of what I know theologically. You see, our theology is no good to us unless we experience it. I was reading a, a quote by A.W. Tozer uh, just this past week, and he, he basically said this. He said, the devil is a better theologian than any of us, and yet he's still a devil. You see, it's not about the theology you know. It's whether or not you possess that you experience what you profess to believe. And that's what the Lord wants to bring us into, and that is where the enemy comes against us. So the Lord wants us to learn to occupy, to live in the freedom of what he's given us to possess. I, I, I felt a, a few days ago, I've been in a season of fasting, I felt the Lord just say, I want you to go into fasting this month. And uh, I was in a few days in, just praying like I normally do. And, and just, you know, when you're into fasting, you're, you're saying, okay, Lord, uh, you know, I, I want to I get more. I want to, I I, you know, I have certain things I want to attain. And, but you're just kind of spending time with the Lord. And I just really felt three days in, I know it's always the third day, but it just happened to be the third day. I'm just kneeling in prayer, just worshiping the Lord and so on. And just out of the blue, I just felt the Lord impress in my heart, very kindly but very clearly, Paul, what do you want? Isn't that kind of nice? What do you want? Well, I've got a whole list of things. You know, here's all my stuff I prattle through every time we pray. You know, now lay me down to sleep, pray, Lord, and so to take whatever. You know, we, we just kind of go through the motions sometimes. I just felt the Lord very clearly say, what do you want? What was the Lord saying to me? He's saying, Paul, in this season of fashion that you've set out, what are you after? What do you want to take hold of? How, where do you want to go from here? You know, I, I know where you are. I know what you believe and so on, but, but what are some specific things? Now, the interesting thing with the Lord is that when he asks you a question, he's already given you the answer. You know, he's just kind of moving you along. It's the Lord that initiates the thought in our heart. And, and the Lord, I felt, gave me six very clear things that he wants me to go after, that he wants me to expect and be praying for and lay hold of during this season over these next days ahead in, in fasting and prayer. But I, but I recognize at the same time that part of possessing those things, little by little or a little at a time, is going to require driving out the enemy, and it's going to require learning how to possess that new territory that he wants to give you. I mean, does this sound too flaky? Uh, would any of us by an upraised hand say, it makes sense, Pastor, that if I'm going to advance in the Lord, I'm going to have spiritual warfare? 
there's going to be areas where I've got to drive the enemy out of my life or out of situations around me. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus said, when an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through uh, arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I'll return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there, and the final condition of that man is actually worse than the first. I believe that deliverance is simply the act of driving the demons out of a place that have been given to it by a person. The Bible is very clear that through repentance and an encounter with God's power, that person can be set free. But having been swept clean, the Bible says, if that person does not invite Jesus to live there, they face the possibility of greater deception and greater bondage. We understand that as believers. But we need to understand as well is that once you have invited Jesus into your life, you become indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Okay? When you invite Christ into your life, you become the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And once you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, a Christian cannot be possessed in their spirit by demonic powers. Be very clear on that. But here's the catch. You can be demonically harassed in a number of ways at the level of your soul. What is our soul? Our soul is essentially our mind and our will and our emotions. If the Holy Spirit lives in me, the devil cannot possess me. But what he can do through the way I think, through my actions, through living by my feelings rather than obedience to the truth of God's word and the Holy Spirit, I can give place to the enemy. He can get a hook in my life, and from that place he is able to harass me. He is able to try the best he can to influence me, and he's really, really good at that. I find it very interesting that when we speak about Christians and the demonic, that the Greek word, which is, we have it up there for you, daimonizome, daimonizome is actually not translated possession. It's translated by the word demonized. And to use the word demonized simply speaks of the specific work of that particular spiritual power or entity. What I also found really fascinating was this. I looked a little bit deeper this week, and that Greek word, daimonizome, interestingly, in its verb form, it actually means this, literally it means this, a demon-caused passivity. Found that's interesting. A demon-caused passivity. In other words, the enemy looks, as we'll see in a moment, for a place to find lodging in a believer's life, in a believer's mind, in their disobedience, in their actions, whatever it may be. And when he finds a place there, he wants to stay hidden. That's more advantageous. But also what he begins to create in a believer's life is a passivity. A passivity to accommodate darkness. A passivity to accommodate disobedience. A passivity that creates this sense of kind of optional obedience to God. Or a nominal Christianity. But it never ever functions as a believer in their full authority of Christ, in Christ. And actually experiences freedom and minister that freedom to other people. And that's really the real issue. The issue I want to address this morning is simply this. Can a Christian fall for demonic deception to the point that certain areas of their life become influenced or controlled by that spirit, even if it's unknowingly, even if they're not aware that is there? And I believe the answer unequivocally is yes. And this control can manifest itself at different levels, different degrees of intensity. In fact, when you look at Galatians chapter 5, God gives us 
a list of what he calls the works of the flesh. Things like sexual immorality, greed, drunkenness, and the, and the list goes on. How many understand that if the works of the flesh can get a hold of a believer's life who's filled with the Spirit, so can the devil? It's not a far stretch. If your flesh, your own cravings, your own desires has that power, you want to believe the enemy does as well. He's more powerful than your flesh is. And he obviously knows how to manipulate that to work against you. So how does deliverance apply to Christians? Ephesians 4.27 says, Do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. What's interesting in this verse, actually, a few words before Paul says, be, Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Do not give the devil a foothold. Now, how many remember, uh, I want to ask you to remember what I preached on last week. I'd look it up myself. Don't feel bad. Uh, but last week, we, we, we looked at Genesis chapter 4, where Cain was very jealous because his offering was rejected by God. It wasn't done right. God said, I'll, I'll receive you if you'll do it right. But Cain just got upset. He got offended. He got angry. And, and his brother Abel, he had an offering that was done right. God accepted it. So he became angry. He was offended. And he began to hate his brother. He had this anger in his heart. God comes to Cain. He says, Cain, listen to me very carefully. You're at a very important crossroads right now. Now, keep in mind, Cain knew God. Cain talked with God, communed with God in a way that, you know, they only know. We weren't there then, but obviously there's communication there. Had a relationship. God says to Cain, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. And it wants to have you. You must master it. You must master it. In the Hebrew language, that, that, that image there is one of an actual creature. Uh, not, just, not just a feeling that you're having. This is just a personality flaw, okay? This is a demonic entity that is crouching at your door. What's it looking for? It is looking for an opportunity to control your life. Uh, it doesn't mean that, that, that Cain all of a sudden became demon-possessed and his head was spinning, he was vomiting, and whatever you see in Hollywood today. It's not talking about that. The Lord was saying you're at an important crossroads right now. If you do what I tell you, you'll be okay. If you don't obey, you're going to give place to this demonic power that manifests itself in anger, and it's going to rule you. But you have the power to master it, but you have to choose whether or not you're going to master it right now. It's up to you. Are you going to give into it, or are you going to overcome it? And we know the story. He ignored God, he gave into it, and that anger led to the murder of his brother and led to a number of disastrous things that went on for generations. Do not give the devil a foothold. The word foothold in the Greek language is the word topos, from which we get our English word topography. Topography is just kind of, if you know maps, the, the topography is looking down at a map and being able to see like a mountain range, all the, all, the, all the different heights, elevations, all the crevices, all the hiding places, whatever it may be. And I believe what Paul wants us to understand, not to be afraid, but he wants us to understand, as a Christian, it is possible to give demons a place in your life. It is possible through the enemy's deception for you to give place to him and for him to hide in crevices at different levels in a believer's life from which he wants to strike you if possible. In fact, let's be honest this morning. I just kind of feel to be honest, that okay? feel to be a little vulnerable here this morning. The reality is this, most of us lived long enough not serving the Lord, that all of us to some degree or another, we have a certain uh, comfort zone uh, where we can accommodate a certain, um, a certain amount of evil. Is that, is that too harsh to say? Now, it shouldn't be that way, but most Christians today 
have enough comfort with the works of darkness that we tolerate a whole lot of stuff. A whole lot of stuff the Holy Spirit speaks to us about. We say, yeah, 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 it's not a big deal, not a big deal. I can handle this. I can control this. It's okay. Whatever the case may be, we just kind of barter with that, bargain with God because we're very comfortable with a certain degree of evil in our lives. Another Bible translation says this from Ephesians. Do not give the devil a way to defeat you. That's very interesting. Uh, Paul's saying the only way the devil can defeat you is if you give him access to your life. And it begins by the way you think. And that's why he says to the Romans, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. How does the devil defeat you? The devil defeats you by fooling you into opening the door of your heart to him. The Bible says in Amos 3.3, two people cannot walk together unless they agree to do so. Friends, strongholds in the believer's life don't just happen. They happen at some point of entry where we agree with the devil rather than the Lord. You hear me this morning? That's why when we choose to disobey the Lord, that's why when we choose to give in to temptation, it's not just exercising our free will with impunity. There are consequences. Because we open our heart, we open our lives to spirits of lies. And, and just varying things we'll see in just a moment that the enemy wants to bring into our life. It begins as a small hook when the devil finds a place in your heart when you agree with him, but that can develop into a stronghold. And I find that agreement usually happens in times when we're vulnerable. It usually happens in times when our emotions are kind of ruling. So it could be in a time of chaos. It could be in a time of hurt. Uh, it could be in a time of, uh, of confusion or life change, hormones, all that kind of stuff. It can come in seasons in our lives where we're, expected, we're, we're, we're exposed to a large uh, array of emotions and we are tempted to make decisions to do things based on our feelings rather than on faith. Do you hear me this morning? We think it's no big deal. Well, you know, God speaks to us when we say, I don't feel like doing that. Oh, I know I should do such and such, but I don't feel like. You know, or surely God understands, or they hurt me, or they just, whatever it may be. And we give place, Paul says, to the enemy in those times of vulnerability. When Paul tells Timothy to run from youthful lusts, he's not talking about just growing up. He's referring to those things that get sown in our lives at an early age that oftentimes don't show up until an opportune time when we're older. I'm going to be a little transparent this morning. Whenever I say that, Vanessa gets real nervous, but I don't think it's a big deal because it's life. This is where you guys live too. Uh, when Vanessa and I were first married in the early years, I can remember a time there, there was no internet back then, and uh, you know, Vanessa loves to read. Uh, I love to watch her read. But, uh, you know, she would always go to bookstores, or she would go to uh, the library and, uh, and look for books. And so I'd be along with her, and I wasn't particularly interested in taking any books home, so I would just kind of go through the shelves. You know, maybe find a magazine or a book, just going by the title, uh, usually looking for something that was maybe as a pastor, you know, culturally relevant to the people you're trying to minister to, or maybe it's a, a fitness magazine, whatever the case may be. And I found, it didn't happen every single time, but it happened enough times for me to notice it. I found that I would take this book that looked innocent enough or interesting enough on the cover, and I would just arbitrarily open it, and invariably my eyes would fall on trash. Has it ever happened to you? It would just fall on this choice garbage. I mean, I wasn't looking for it. I, I, you know, and that's not why I picked the book up. But you just kind of you know, finger through it, and there, there it happens. Your eyes land right there. And one day, the thought crossed my mind, whether it was just me or the Holy Spirit, but the thought crossed my mind, why do you think you can so easily find those pages? And I felt the Lord just impress on my heart. He said, Paul, when you want to find out something from me, 
when you want to find something in my word or whatever the case may be, you're looking for direction or looking for something, you said, he said, you know, all you do is you just ask the Holy Spirit to show you. And over time, you know, you open the word or whatever, and he, he brings you to a passage. He brings you to a truth that he wants to show you. Why? Because he wrote the book. He knows where everything is. He, he knows what he wants you to see. He knows that, I mean, you've done that, haven't you? You know, you open the Bible, and it just happens to fall, you know, where God knows you need to be. It's because he wrote the book. He knows what he wants you to see. And I felt the Lord impress on me that in the same way, the reason I was able to find those special pages in those other books was because the spirit that was responsible for those books actually had a place of control in me. But I didn't know it. It wasn't anything that was even on my mind. The spirit helped me find the place in that book that would be the trash he hoped to cram in me and get on my mind and use to tempt me or lead me astray. Well, it was some time later. I remember I was in a, in a quiet time with the Lord, just had my regular devotions. I wasn't even thinking about this issue. It, you know, it was a long time even before that. I hadn't even thought about that. And just as I was praying, as I was worshiping the Lord, just quiet in my heart in prayer, it was almost like the Lord just brought a screen, like an old movie screen in front of me. And he had brought to my mind something I hadn't thought of for probably 30 years, 20, 25 years probably. He took me back to an evening when I was with some of my friends as a nine-year-old boy I was in the basement with some other friends my age, and in the, midst of our, in the course of our conversation or playing ping pong, whatever we're doing, uh, one of these guys pulls out this adult magazine from his father's stash. And all the guys are kind of looking at that and you know, ooh and on, whatever the case may be. And I even knew, as, and I wasn't a believer then. I, I, I mean, we, we grew up in a Christian home, but I gave my life to the Lord at, uh, at the age of 10. But I, I knew it wasn't wrong, so I didn't really delve into it. But looked enough for the curiosity, whatever. There was no, there was no kind of sexual stimulation. There was nothing being stirred up me that way. But I knew that morning, as an adult, when I was in prayer, as the Holy Spirit brought that revelation to me, that He said to me, Paul, what you've been dealing with when you ran and looked at those books is a spirit of pornography that lodged itself like a leech in your life as a nine-year-old child. It, it found a way because you gave access to it. It found a way in your mind, and it was there for an opportune moment. And he wanted it to come. He wanted to save that for when he can get maximum benefit or maximum destruction in your life, when he could either affect or ruin your marriage, when he can get you involved in something that will affect your anointing or your church, whatever the case may be, wherever it may go. He knew the best time to try to begin to use that and grow on that. You say, well, Paul, what'd you do? Well, it wasn't a big deal. I just thanked the Lord for the revelation. I didn't deny it, didn't excuse it. I received his word to me. I repented of that act in my life as a nine-year-old child. I renounced the devil's right to ever use it against me again, and I was simply released into freedom, just continued to walk in the Lord. You see, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. As the people of God who are filled with the Spirit of God, who walk in the truth of God's Word, God knows when the time is right. He will bring things to our mind where the enemy has been allowed to have a foothold in our life. And if we will be obedient to the Lord, receive His Word, all it is is a matter of confronting the enemy, renouncing him, and walking in freedom. It's not a sensational thing, but sometimes Christians make it so spooky and, and just say, oh, it can't happen in all a believer's life. It can't. In fact, the Bible identifies a number of activities. I had about 30 of these. I just jotted down uh, about 10 on each side. We can, we can bring them up. But all of these are demonic activities and spiritual activities that take place in the spirit realm. The Bible actually gives names to these spirits and describes their particular activity. Now, we know on the, on the 
left column over here, these are the works of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Christ. So there is a Spirit of Christ, we know that. The Bible also says it's the Spirit of Antichrist. There's a spirit of light. Yes, the Holy Spirit, the Lord himself. There's spirit of darkness. There's spirit of truth and wisdom. There's, there's lying spirits. There's spirit of understanding. There's spirit of dullness, spirit of joy, spirit of fear, spirit of unity, spirit of confusion, spirit of holiness, unclean spirits, spirit of gentleness, spirit of anger, spirit of generosity, spirit of poverty. You can go on and on. There are many, many of them listed in the word of God. Just Google it. Just go through your uh, Bible uh, concordance and you will find it there. But I want us to understand this that the column you look at on the left-hand side here, these are not just, uh, not just enhanced human abilities. These are supernatural gifts, right? They don't just come because, you know, you've got a great personality or there's something different about you. These are spiritual gifts that are given to us. Well, in the same way, these other traits on the right side, they are not just personality flaws. They are demonic abilities. They are demonic strongholds. They are demonic activity. And we have to understand that. Not to be afraid. No. But to be alert. To be watchful. To recognize that God wants us to live and move in a freedom and in an anointing and that can get clogged up if we are sloppy in our walk with the Lord through disobedience or giving place to the enemy who comes. He comes as an accuser. He comes as a liar. Don't have to raise your hands. But how many of you can say here today, there have been times in my life where I felt prompted by God to do something, but the enemy has whispered in my ear and said, you can't do that because of this. Because you've either done this or because you are this or because here's what you are when nobody's looking. You see, he uses that. He can find strongholds in our lives. We can overcome him, but we have to do so as the Holy Spirit shows us. These are places in our lives where the powers of darkness hide because we have given place to them. And the result with that agreement is always frustration and disappointment and dysfunction. Next Sunday, we're going to examine how to break these strongholds that find their way into our lives. But I want to leave you with this. And I'm going to ask Pastor Kristen or Tanya, uh, whoever uh, is going to play the piano this morning, to come if you would, and the ministry team, if you'd be ready to, to come up in just a moment as well. But I want to leave you with this. Essentially, and I'm speaking to Christians right now, but if you're not a believer here this morning, the entryway is still through Jesus, and this is still important for you. But how do we find this lasting freedom? What must there be in our lives if it's going to happen? This is real quick. Number one, friends, you've got to have a relationship. I don't have time to delve into it. We're going to do it more next week. But friends, you will never experience God's freedom unless you are diligent in your own relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to have a relationship with Jesus that is real, that is nourished, and that is maintained through the Word of God and through Holy Spirit prayer. Uh, it's a sad thing to say, and I don't think I'm exaggerating, but most believers today are not living in the Word of God and do not have communion with God. Friends, you've got to understand this. This is not optional. I, I, I could be an hour on this. If you are a child of God, if you are a Christian, His Word and communion are not optional. If you never read His Word, you never pray. Uh, God can judge, but you're not a disciple of Christ. In fact, there might be a serious question mark over your salvation because you're comfortable enough with what you believe, and I prayed a prayer some years ago, whatever the case may be, so I guess that's good enough, but there's nothing beyond that. I have, I have no desire to be in the Lord's presence. I have no appetite for his words whatsoever. I, I have no inkling really to obey him. If it works out good for me that way, I'll do it. If not, well, you know, I'll just do my own thing and trust God will get me out of the mess when I get into it. If that's your attitude, I really don't think you're a Christian. 
I don't think you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where it begins. It doesn't mean we don't struggle. That's different if you're seasoned to struggle. But for a lot of folks, they're not even struggling. They're just happy and passive where they are. The second thing after relationship you need for freedom is revelation. What you discover when you feed on the word of God and you pray in your spiritual language or pray in any case, the Holy Spirit reveals to you areas in your life that need to be freed up. There's relationship, there's revelation. Number three, renunciation. What does that mean? It means once you've received the revelation, you have to be willing to repent of the thing that brought bondage in the first place. You must be willing to say, Jesus, I will never do that again. You must be willing to say, Jesus, I recognize it's wrong. Please, by your grace, give me a hatred for that. I don't want to like that anymore. I don't want to do that. You see, the problem that I find in a lot of Christian circles is people want God to deliver them from the desire to sin. That's not his job. That's not what he does. That's a decision that you must make. By an act of your own will, you need to say, in the name of Jesus, I repent of my sin. In the name of Jesus, I renounce its hold on me. In the name of Jesus, I receive the freedom that Jesus gives to my life over this foothold. Once you make that decision, the Lord is able to begin your deliverance and begin your freedom. And again, it's not a question of whether or not you're saved. The question is whether or not God can use you now that you're saved. That's what it's all about. Because that's where the real joy comes in in serving the Lord. That's where the real joy comes in in being saved. If God can't use you, you know what happens over a period of time? You actually regret that you're saved in the first place. You want to be saved enough to go to heaven and not go to hell, but God just has a way of taking all the fun out of your life. You've not discovered the real fun is actually living in freedom and the anointing and seeing God free others through you. And finally, there comes release. Release doesn't come automatically. But release comes through the word of God in prayer. You will never get a revelation that leads to release, that leads to freedom, unless you are purposeful in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And remember this, the enemy's strategy in keeping you bound is to stay hidden in your life. And he does that through spiritual passivity. In fact, I would suggest to you, if you are passive in your walk with Christ today, you undoubtedly have demonic oppression in your life. You have, you have blinders on your eyes. There are ears where the enemy has set up shop, and he has just rendered you passive and ineffective. And the Lord, the good news is he wants to set you free. You know what? He can set you free from that this morning. Do you believe that? The Lord can set you free. You can come into here just pulling yourself into church and saying, God, you ought to be grateful I'm here. You can go from that to leaving this place saying, thank God I'm free. I'm finally free. Jesus is real to me. That's what he wants to do in our lives this morning. I believe every disciple of Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit to do as Jesus did. What did Jesus say here in Luke chapter 4? He came to do this. Preach to the poor. Heal the brokenhearted. Proclaim freedom to the captive. Friends, that's our mandate. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to expect as people who have the glory of God in these earthen vessels. Can you imagine a church full of people functioning in that kind of anointed ministry? I believe with all my heart that people who are willing to live in the full freedom that Jesus provides will be the people that Jesus uses in the most amazing ways in this generation. I believe that with all my heart. And so I just want to ask you this morning as we stand and, and just close in the song of worship, would you stand with me? I know our time is gone. Feel free to slip out if you need to. Ministry team, would you come? I want to ask you this morning if you're here and you would be honest enough to say, you know what, I just recognize there's areas where it seems like, you know, I've Try to change, whatever the case may be, and just nothing seems to happen. And yet I know the Lord has talked to me with some things. 
and I just want to agree with someone in prayer, and I just want the Lord to set me free. If that's your heart's desire, I just invite you to come this morning. If you're here today and you've never opened your heart to Jesus, that's where the freedom begins. It's not about religion. You felt his presence this morning. God is real. He's here to set you free. If you'll confess your sin and say, God, I'm tired of going my own way. I'm tired of doing what I want. I understand life is found in you. I want to come and give you my life and ask you to forgive me of my sin. You'll become a child of God who'll begin to set you free and bring you from freedom to freedom.